0: 21, beginning of verse 20. And then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, referring to the apostle John, who had also leaned on Jesus's breast at the supper, the last supper, and said, Lord, who is it is the one who betrays you? And Peter, seeing him, he said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I will, that he remain till I come. What is that to you? You follow me. I already want to duck down in my seat when I read that. And then the saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. And yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Thank you for every single passage that we turn to it comes out of a, the greatness of your love for us, your concern for us to enjoy the most bountiful life that a person can live in relationship with you, Lord, right with our fellow man and right with the creation. And thank you, Lord, for this instruction. We thank you for your love for us this morning, that you're concerned about our souls and our life and the needs of our lives, Lord. And we just ask out of the greatness of your love and concern and your great attention to detail that you would impact us this morning as we continue our worship of you now in the study of your word. Thank you, Lord, for your supernatural involvement in planting your eternal word deep into each one of our lives. We ask all these things of you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Anytime a pastor teaches through an entire book of the Bible, you're going to come to a wide variety of verses and different subjects and sermons that will be preached from those subjects. And you've probably noticed, if you've gone to church any length of time when the pastor teaches that book out of a desire to learn everything that is in the book, that there are some passages that have an absolute wow factor or a that completely changed my life kind of dynamic associated with the passage. And then there are other passages that are a little bit quieter. What they accomplish in our life is a, a subtle, comparatively subtle Kind of thing. Some passages are put in the Bible to correct major areas of our life as Christians. And then other passages in the Bible are there to fine tune something that is important that it be fine tuned for Jesus to be represented in our lives. And both of those things, the big gigantic lessons, the bomb bursting in air lessons and and the smaller kind of quieter and subtle Lessons, all of them are important. These smaller lessons are sometimes especially important in these kind of hidden areas of our life because if God doesn't fine tune those, then the bigger aspect of our walk with the Lord and our witness for the Lord can be uh, adversely affected. I think about maybe a, a car in this vein. You can have a car that has 400 horsepower underneath the hood the engine is just a monster could uh, everything you, you do to keep it from becoming airborne when you really let it go and yet for all the greatness of that engine if there is the malfunction in some other obscure part of the car it can render that great engine Almost useless. And so everything needs to be right. Everything big and small needs to be in tune with one another in order for not only a car to perform uh, properly, but also for us in in the dynamic of our own Christian lives. And uh, so often there's these smaller areas of our life that I'm thankful that God addresses. And uh, they seem small. They seem as if they're negotiables. We could take them or leave them, obey them or not obey them, and it wouldn't be of any great consequence. And yet the Lord knows that if those things go sideways, it'll affect our Christian witness altogether. And this morning I want to address just uh, one subject just uh, in, in that vein, and the subject is minding our own business, which is a great theme of this passage. Peter has just been publicly restored into ministry in the presence of several other apostles there on the sea, shore of the Sea of Galilee, following his three denials uh, of Jesus. Jesus has also publicly commissioned Peter, calling him to spend the rest of his life tending God's sheep. Uh, loving them and feeding them. And then Jesus even went on to tell Peter how he would not only spend the rest of his life, but actually how he would die, that he would live a long, fruitful life of service uh, to the Lord, that he would die a martyr's death and being faithful to God's calling upon his life. But ultimately, Even when he faced the cruelty of the death that he faced, that he would never again deny Jesus. And so when he ultimately was crucified upside down in order to be faithful to the Lord and God's calling upon his life, he never did deny him uh, again. And so Jesus has given Peter. You know, all that you would want to know about your life, how your life is to be spent all the way through to your dying moments. And so he's given Peter uh, plenty to keep him busy all the way till the day that he dies. Plenty for him to keep his eyes focused on and and busy about. And Jesus then commanded Peter, follow me, whatever the cost of the sacrifice might be, which Peter then in turn did. Now, what fascinates me about the close of John's gospel here is it seems to me that if I were writing the book of John and I didn't and uh, I have no interest in coaching the Holy Spirit, but it would seem to me if I was just writing this, I would have stopped the epistle. In gospel, rather, right at the moment of that mountaintop experience of Peter, where you have the whole epistle closes with this great theme of restoration, Peter's great failure. But as we sang today, God's grace is greater still and 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 the greatness of God's goodness and his love and. And to finish off with that theme of restoration. But the Holy Spirit doesn't do that. He goes on to record for us Jesus' rebuke of Peter for sticking his nose into something that was none of his business. That tells me something. And one of the things that it tells me is that it must be in the eyes of the Holy Spirit that one of the greatest threats to each of us being faithful to God's call Upon our lives, finishing the work that God has called us to do is this temptation then to stick our nose into everybody else's business rather than giving ourselves fully to what we know that God has called us to do. Now, this uh, pattern in Peter's life, uh, what he does here is he continues a pattern that was fairly (laughs) deeply ingrained in him of a spiritual life of two steps forward and one step back. I won't say that it's one step forward and two steps back. That wouldn't be fair. But there were times in his ministry and life, two steps forward and at least a step back, sometimes a step and a half back. Like on the Mount of Transfiguration, he's up there with James and John. Jesus is transfigured into his eternal glory. We'll see that glory one day. And... Moses is there. Elijah's there. I mean, two of the greatest heroes of the Old Testament. They're talking with Jesus. And the Bible tells us that Peter's witnessing this and he didn't know what to say. Boy, I hope you can relate to that. But that didn't keep him from talking. What's the old saying? If you can't improve on silence, don't. Well, that old saying came after Peter did this probably, so he didn't know it. We're held to a little higher standard, and so he he says to the Lord, Lord, and kind of interrupts what's going on there. Lord, it's good for us to be there, be here. Really, <laughs> a little uh, misguided sense of self-importance. Yes, it's very good for us to be here. Yes, with you and Moses and Elijah, it's actually quite appropriate. And uh, <laughs> and and why don't we? Because of the majesty of the moment. Why don't we build a tabernacle, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah? And in this comment that he made, he was intimating that Jesus was on the same level as Moses and Elijah, on the same level as the law and the prophets. At this point, God in heaven decided that he had to step in and reel Peter in. And so the Lord uh, God, the father, spoke from heaven into that scene and and declared, this is my beloved son concerning Jesus. Hear ye him. And Peter kind of got put in this place there. So the majesty of the moment. And then he kind of floods it. Caesarea Philippi, the same thing. Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? And they gave the various opinions that people were saying that Jesus was. And then Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? And Peter got the question right. He spoke for all of the apostles. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus then went on to commend him for his, uh, you know, the uh, conclusion that he had come to, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So this isn't something you came up with, your intellect, Peter, or uh, or uh, observations or teaching or something like this. This is something that's been revealed to you by God himself. And so Jesus then went on to speak to the disciples. About the fact that he was ultimately going to go to Jerusalem, he would be abused by the Jewish religious leaders, ultimately crucified and die and rise again on the third day. So he makes the statement to the other apostles and then Peter Really feeling his weedies in his uh, I get revelation from God kind of uh, vibe that he was carrying around as Jesus spoke so negatively of his future. The Bible says that he actually put his arm around Jesus, kind of pulled him aside. He's going to kind of coach him a little bit and counsel him. And he said, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Imagine that. Jesus came into the world to die for our sins. And Peter's going to step in and he's going to say, listen, that's a lot of negative talk. I don't want to hear that from you. I want to hear something more positive from you. Remember, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Then Jesus turned to him and said, get thee behind me, Satan. Oof. He said, you're an offense to me, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And so he makes the same kind of a thing here, mountaintop experience. No sooner does he get this fresh start from God, but he messes up again and he snatches the feet from the mouth of victory once again. And I love him for it. He's a great encouragement as a result. So following this restoration, verse 21 Peter then points to the Apostle John and he asks Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? So he is forgiven. He is restored. He is commissioned. What does Peter do? He turns around. He notices the Apostle John there and he says, what about this man? All right. You've told me about my life. You told me how you're going to use me, how you want me to spend my life. You've told me even how I'm going to die. I want to compare notes with what you got in mind for John here. What are you going to do through him? What are you going to do with his life? How long is he going to live? He gonna stay faithful? How's he gonna die at the end of his life? And Jesus' rebuke in verse twenty two, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? I bet you could hear a pin drop in that particular moment. Very gracious way of Jesus saying to Peter, M Y O B, mind your own business. Now, when I was a child, I don't know what's happening here lately in the world because I'm not a child anymore, as you saw. (laughs) Many decades separated from childhood. But when I was a child, it was not unusual for teachers to say to students or um, any adult in authority to say uh, to a child, that's none of your business or mind your own business. And I mean, that's just those are just statements that we kind of just grew up with in in life. the, the, the exhortation, we would get our nose into somebody else's business that wasn't our business. It didn't even have to be your parent. Any old adult would say it to you if you move beyond your bounds as a child. Now, I don't I don't know if parents say that much to their kids anymore or or if teachers in elementary school classrooms or whatever, say that to to students anymore. But I, I sure hope They do, because we need to hear that, not just kiddos, but all of us in a a measure that we probably, apart from God's word, can't even realize the degree to which we need to be told that. And thankfully, this message speaks it to not only children, but also to adults. Our culture is terrible in its nosiness and its audacity and it's. Uh, pride and its arrogance, in the freedom that it feels, to pry into the privacy of anyone and everyone, and then to air that kind of privacy to the whole world. And there are mechanisms by which to do that today. You see these television shows and magazines. Some television shows, their whole. Reason for existence is to mind somebody else's business and to get into that business and then take what ought to be private there and then to put it on television before the whole world. And and why do they do it? Because it makes a fortune. Why do they make a fortune off it? Except there's a perverse something in every one of our hearts. That loves to mind other people's business and to know the worst about them and to probe vicariously, no longer face to face with at least that much maturity as Peter did here. But now to do it behind the scenes from uh, with a remote in our hand before a television set or or a computer terminal uh, keyboard in front of uh, before our fingers and the culture is just our culture is sickly. Addicted to this kind of of activity. I think about not just the magazines, not just the television, uh, not all magazines, but some of them. But I think about the Internet is just filled with that kind of material as well as uh, any number of blogs that you could refer to or Facebook or other social media. And of course, not all of these. These are things that can all be used in a sanctified way. But the nosiness, the prying, the accessing the privacy and getting into the business that is none of our business of other people's lives. Again, it's just a click away from being able to go into those kind of places. And sometimes as, as I have read blogs related to one subject or another, you know, you see an article here or this or that. And, somebody, and you read, you know, when people, um, does everybody know that that goes all over the world and their name is attached to that? You see, somebody actually wrote that. They didn't just say that in private. They wrote that. And now the whole world can know forever. Forever. That they wrote that. I can't believe it. I try not to leave a paper trail anywhere on things, but enough about my paranoia. And this knowing so much about so many just epidemic. And and our curiosity is there in our flesh, this curiosity about what is none of our business. And it's nurtured and it's fed until it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And the passage would be valuable alone if it did nothing more in our lives than to make us step back and reassess uh, this particular subject matter. There are things in life that are my business and there are things in life that are not my business. And just because I can access what is not my business does not mean it is my business. And so the importance uh, of of this passage, even more so in this day than even 2000 years ago in uh, Peter's day. I think it's also helpful to remember, just as we talk about blogs and those kind of things. Um, every command of Scripture for the child of God that has to do with our verbal speech, those same rules apply to all communication, whether it's done verbally or whether it's done at a keyboard. It's still the same definition of slander as whether it's communicated either way. Same definition of gossip, whether it's uh, communicated, either way. Now, clearly, Jesus is not having a conversation, uh, isn't interested in having a conversation with Peter about John, which reminds me of another saying that I grew up uh, hearing uh, every so often. If I wanted your opinion, I'd ask you for it. (laughs) And notice Peter, Jesus here, told Peter three things in his response there. In verse 22, first thing is, Peter, stay out of John's business, stay out of other people's business. Second, Peter, stay out of my business, because he wasn't just getting into John's business. He was getting into Jesus's business as well. Stay out of God's business. And then he was telling him, third, Peter, mind your own business and your business. In case you forgot the conversation we just finished ten seconds ago, is to follow me. I give you enough to keep you busy till the day you die. Stay at everybody else's business. Do what I've called you to do. Now, what Jesus its important to recognize what Jesus is rebuking and what he isn't rebuking here. What, he, what Jesus is not rebuking is a legitimate concern for our fellow man. He's not rebuking our interest in our fellow man in that. In a godly way, or he's not rebuking uh, or uh, restricting or forbidding us to exhort others that need to be confronted perhaps because of sin. The Bible declares let each of you look out for not only his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That's a legitimate thing. Paul, uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews, wrote, but exhort one another daily. While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And so we see someone who has gotten involved in sin. Their life is beginning to spiral out of control. It's dangerous. We step in and we exhort them related to that. That's not being a busybody at all. But Jesus is rebuking an unhealthy concern, a getting my nose into stuff that has nothing to do with me or with God's call upon my life. It is not my business to make God's choices concerning another servant of the Lord the focus of my life. It's not my business what ministry God calls somebody else to do in comparison to what he's called me to do. It's not my business where he has chosen to place them in this big wide world that we live in. It's not my business. To put my nose in the gifting that he gives to them, the size of the gifting, or the greatness of the anointing that he places upon their life, or how God chooses to use them, as it relates to a pastor it 's not my business how large of a church or small of a church he gives to somebody else, but n- numerically it, or what the fruit of our ministries are, or the breadth of another person's influence is for the kingdom of God. That's none of my business, much less to become the subject of criticism or or of gossip. That's God's business and their business. And it's not my business. It's not my business. What kind of car another Christian drives? That's between them and the Lord. And God knows how to tell us what we can drive and what we can't drive. It's not my business. What kind of a house another Christian lives in? That's between them and the Lord. It's not my business if they exercise certain Christian liberties. These are things that are not sin, but I may have a conviction about it. I may have a stricter conscience related to that thing that I can't engage in that activity. But they certainly have the freedom biblically to engage in that activity. That is not my business to stick my nose in into that. That's between them and the Lord. None of these things are my business, much less to question someone else's spirituality over them. And so Jesus also firmly instructs Peter and us to stay out of his business. So again, this kind of nosiness in the body of Christ is not only putting my nose into other people's business, but it's putting my nose into God's business, and he doesn't need the help. I've tried to help him so many times, and he just isn't... Um, You know the Bible says, "Who has become the Lord's counselor?" Well, I I wouldn't say I tried to counsel him. I'm—I like suggestions. I like making suggestions. (laughs) So Jesus told Peter to concentrate on what He had called him to do, to put all of his attention there instead of wondering about. Everyone and everything else. Throw yourself, Jesus is saying, completely behind what I've called you to do. There can be that tendency in each of us to spend much more time minding God's business for him, minding everybody else's business for them, than putting the proper attention into our own ministries and what God has called us to do. And so Jesus restates the same statement to him. You follow me. And that's the real place of uh, peace in the Christian uh, service. Keep my eyes on my own work and my eyes on the Lord. Proverb, in this vein, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 23. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to, to your herds. And the fact of the matter is this. Every hour spent minding someone else's business comes to the neglect of, Of me spending that hour on what God has called me to do. And it's an hour that has been lost in terms of being faithful to what God has called me to do. And somewhere there has to be a limit in this. And this is why I think it's a danger to our Christian lives and and to our ministries. Somewhere there has to be a point. That if I spend my entire Christian life and ministry poking my nose into everyone else's business rather than focusing on what God has called me to, I don't know where the line is. I don't know what the threshold is, but surely there's a line that each of us can cross that will then cause us to forfeit ever hearing from the mouth of the Lord to us. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord because we haven't been a good and faithful servant. We've been too busy in everybody else's business. And it's possible to end up in heaven one day and fail to hear that from the Lord. So there's a a lot that's at stake here related to uh, all of this. And then what's even worse than maybe... Uh, You know, frittering away our lives in terms of of minding everybody else's business is that some people get so busy minding everybody else's business that they not only never get to God's call upon their lives at all, but then they become professional uh, analyzers and professional critics sitting from the sidelines and worse still, they then consider themselves to be a great asset to the body of Christ As a result. Now, this nosiness is unhealthy and even dangerous to our callings. And I want you to to get a sense for the sobriety of this, because the Holy Spirit speaks of this continually in the New Testament. And I want to read several passages from the New Testament that speaks to the Holy Spirit's concern uh, in this area. And interestingly enough, he addresses both men and women separately as well as together on this fo- on this issue. Sometimes you think, oh, yes, well, I hope the women huh oh, well, and oh, I hope the guys. You no, know, no, 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 no. We've all got this in us. The same strength of tendency. Both sexes of Christians are equally affected. Paul wrote concerning some of the younger widows, Christian widows in the early church. And he wrote to Timothy and he said, and besides they learn to be idle, wandering from house to house and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. He spoke concerning men, uh, men who were uh, idle in the city of Thessalonica, as Paul uh, wrote the epistle to that church. These were able bodied men who were unwilling to uh, work And he wrote and he said, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, doesn't say he cannot work. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some among you who walk in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busy bodies. Now, those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. And in both cases. Um, uh, the Holy Spirit ascribes this tendency toward being a busybody to idleness. But no Christian who is giving proper attention to God's calling on their life will have idleness as a problem in their life. But idleness is a problem if I'm not giving myself fully to His calling and His purposes for my life. And I'll tell you, without a doubt, much busybodiness. Among Christians comes out of idleness and idle hands and idle minds are still the devil's workshop. I know why God has called me to do what I do, because he doesn't want me to have a minute of idle time. He knows it's trouble for me. Always has been trouble for me as a kid. So he puts me in this red line thing called pastoring every hour that God has intended for me to commit to Christian service is an hour that keeps me out of trouble, and you too. And it keeps my time well-directed, and it keeps our time well spent. And if I ignore His follow me, then I'm going to have way too much time on my hands that each of us will get into trouble with. Now, concerning this area of idleness, I have noticed through the years that very often, those who are the most critical of other Christians um, and the most judgmental are those who are doing nothing ministry related to their lives. And I have found that being committed to Christian service, fully and sacrificially, it always produces a greater compassion and a greater empathy toward uh, fellow servants in the body. Of, of Christ, I'm amazed in this area of technology, before I leave the whole blog side of things, I'm amazed at how many Christian blogs there are. There's so many that are healthy and wonderful, and that's great. But how many Christian blogs today are given over to the very thing that Peter is doing here? Sticking their nose into business that has nothing to do with them. But because I'm doing it with a computer and I'm not doing it face to face, that somehow it's a different breed of cat or that I'm not I'm not engaged in that. Sometimes I'll get a someone will forward a link to me or uh, say you should check this out or something like that. And I'll go over and I'll check it out. Most often it's fabulous uh, kind of stuff. But then sometimes you turn to these sites where These people are just analyzing everyone else. Unfortunately, very often it's a Christian, a pastor, not always. And criticizing, sticking their nose into what isn't their uh, business. And sometimes as I look at that, I just think to myself, where in the world do they or people in general find the time to invest in this kind of thing? And sometimes you can look down the whole trail of the blog and you can see they were on there all day long, jumping in and out. So how do you fulfill a calling of God and be that invested in sticking my nose into everyone else's business? And it's not just true of pastors. It's true of all of us. Something to be careful of. Idleness is what it comes out of. And this kind of thing comes out of a neglect, a sinful neglect of our calling, Paul wrote also to the church at Thessalonica, and he said, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more that you aspire to lead a quiet life. I'll give you an ingredient. He gives it to us for a quiet life. That you aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. And then Peter writes in his first epistle, Peter himself addressing the subject, he said, But let none of you suffer as a murderer. A thief. He's to Christians. An evildoer. Oh, you say, what terrible thing follows a list like that or is a busybody in other people's business? Wow. I mean, maybe the Holy Spirit knows the level of damage that is done in this realm on a level that we just couldn't even dream of. That in that little Quartet of four that by the Spirit of God, the Apostle Peter puts being a busybody in other people's business in that company. It tells us, as Peter exhorts in that first epistle of his, it shows the impact of this event with Jesus that it had upon his life. It had a permanent mark upon his life, it had a positive mark upon the remainder of his ministry. And I'm sure very helpful in keeping him focused. Now, this passage teaches us that even the most spiritual of us, I mean, if the Apostle Peter could fall prey to this, then surely it means every single one of us as a Christian more or less has a tendency toward this direction, that that we're all tempted uh, by this particular temptation. And so the importance of the passage Have you ever had Jesus tell you to mind your own business? (laughs) I hope you have. Because if you haven't, I'm all alone in the room. I've had him tell me, mind my own business many times. Sometimes I'm in a speculative conversation about some other life or some other Ministry, no, not slander, but it isn't any of my business. And the Holy Spirit will knock on my heart, say, "What is that to you?" That's, and he'll use the acronym, M Y O B. What is that to you? You mind your own business. You have no business being in this conversation. I say, "You're right, Lord. You're right. I'm right there in John chapter 21. Gotcha. I'm going to refocus on what you have called." me to do? Sometimes when I look at the mess that the world is in and I just get overwhelmed, the big the problems are, and I just feel powerless in the face of it, and I'm just about to succumb to a terminal case of the ain't it awful. The Lord will just whisper those words. What is that to you? You follow me and immediately. okay, I know what I'm supposed to focus on. And my life is filled with peace. There have been a time or two through the years, probably more, but I may not remember them or be conscious of them. There's a time or two that I'm very well aware of when, as a pastor, I got in the middle of something that wasn't my business. I got invited to stick my nose in, but I stuck my nose in anyway. And I got burned in the situation which I can deal with on my own, but worse than that, I really did some damage to some other people as a result, hurt them. And I tell you, I regret those incidents very, very much. I and I could wish I had never been involved in those situations, but I was. But because I was, I have a deep appreciation for the importance of this passage and of this lesson to all of us in the body of Christ. Additionally, there is so much kingdom work that needs to be done today. Neighborhoods to be reached for the Lord, cities, nations, the whole wide world. So much work that needs to be done. And if we fall prey to the prevailing Tone of the culture and the freedom with which the culture engages in this nosiness. And we don't realize that not only is it not good for us and not only is it not good for other Christians that we might put our nose in their business, but it's not good for a world that's waiting to hear the gospel. And it's so easy to just take and and fritter away our energies and to fritter away our minutes and our hours and our days and our months and our years into what is not our business. Until God can look at a generation with the kind of technology that we have today and begin to maybe be very concerned that only a scant amount of the work that he has planned to be accomplished through his body is going to be done because we've been pulled away into all of this other stuff, not only by the example of the world, but by bad examples in the body of Christ. Our witness. Our legacy in human history, Peter and John and and. Paul, they had their season in human history to make a difference, and they made a difference. And God's people have done it through the ages, all through church history. We have our age that we live in. And this is a great, great adversary, obstacle, hostility directed toward each of us being faithful to what God has called us to. To do this passage may be never more important in church history than it is today because of the access, the amount of ways that we have to get into other people's business that other generations have never even had to be tempted by. And my prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit would use this passage of scripture to return any of us that have unconsciously drifted into this nosiness, whether face-to-face, technology-wise, whatever it might be, and, and unaware of it. And then God gives us the wake-up call this morning. We can throw away an entire life's ministry to this kind of thing today and for him to set the alarm clock and say, Wake up. You're about to lose that in this thing that prevails within the culture and the world today. And I also pray that the Lord will use this passage to inoculate us. For some of you, this passage is an old friend, a very familiar friend. But there are others in the room. It's the first time that they've ever seen it in the Bible or studied it. And it's just good to have in our hearts so that as we venture into those arenas or into conversations, Into things that are none of our business, but we're sticking our nose into somebody else's business for the Lord to have this in his quiver of arrows to speak to our heart and to say, that's none of your business. You know what I've called you to do, refocus and redirect there. And that makes this passage very, very valuable to all of us. If you sit here today and you're not yet a Christian, you ought to know that this whole thing of nosiness isn't just something that afflicts Christians and something that uh, can uh, have a bad influence on us. It also afflicts everybody that doesn't know the Lord yet. And I think the most dangerous way that this kind of busybodiness or sticking my nose into other people's business um, and neglecting your own business, I think uh, of how many people. Do not address their own salvation because they're worried about everybody else's salvation. I remember when I was a new Christian, I was do a lot of street witnessing. And one of the things that I would hear regularly that people would bring up is they'd say, well, what about the pygmies? What about the pygmies? What about the pygmies? What if what if they don't get saved? What if nobody tells them what if they don't get the gospel in their own language? What about the pygmies? Well, just so everybody can relax, I just want you to know God reached the pygmies decades ago. They have the gospel in their own language. That's God's business. That's their business. That's not your business. One time somebody came up to Jesus and said to Jesus, how many are going to enter in? Speaking of heaven, well, is this going to be a big crowd, going to be a little crowd. How many people are going to end up saved and all that? Jesus said, well, yeah, it'll be fairly. It'll be probably he gave him some kind. And they didn't give him a number. He looked at him and the guys, the guy and the men that were with him. And he said, you strive to enter in through the narrow gate. Don't worry about everybody else. Don't worry about their salvation. That's their business and God's business. Your business is to make sure that before you go into eternity, that you're saved and forgiven of your sin. And you have the confidence of heaven after this life. There are going to be men and women up in front immediately after the service. And they're going to have a badge." on that says purse, you can identify them easily and they'd love to pray with you to begin a personal relationship with God today by putting your faith in Jesus as your savior. It's all there for the asking and the receiving. You take care of your business. God will take care of everybody else. Just fine. Receive his invitation out of his great love for you and for your soul, the greatness of the plans that he has for your life and this life. And the life to come, you come into the life that he has planned for you, whatever your background, whatever the amount of sin, however great the amount of sin, his grace is greater still. And we give him praise for that. None so good that they don't need to be saved. None so bad that they cannot be saved. This is a sinner savior that God has provided us with Jesus himself. Take advantage of the opportunity. To put your faith in him today. Let's stand together and we'll pray. And so, Father, we ask that your living word would do its correction as you see is needed in our hearts here today. And Lord, that this word of yours would forever now in this side of heaven. We know one day there'll be no temptation in this realm, but through the remainder of our pilgrimage, Lord, that you would use it to inoculate us against spending even an hour in this kind of activity, but to keep us fully focused, Lord, on the glory and the beauty and the fruitfulness of your plan for each one of our lives Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for how it addresses the big things and the little things in our life, all of them important things. Thank you for our time in your word this morning and your involvement. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.